Dr. Bain clapped. That means it's time to get started. And then nothing to do with this. <laughs> Very much appreciated the attendance today. Uh, I'm going to invite no stranger to many of you, but a stranger to some, uh, back or welcome our colleague back from Ohio State University to introduce our speaker. Dr. Jim Kinder, uh, some of you, like one of you way in the back row there, knows Dr. Kinder very, very well uh, because uh, he was served as a major advisor. Dr. Kinder came from Ohio State and through the ranks from assistant to associate to full professor from 1979 to 1999, right here at the Department of Science at UNL. He started when he was 12. Okay. Uh, that's why, why I look so young. Uh, Dr. Kinder then had the opportunity to go to back to Ohio State as a department head, served in that role for just under 12 years. His leadership was obviously valued very highly, uh, and Dr. Bain, who was there, can attest to that because Jim served in several interim roles uh, in several different departments. Uh, really through just through the past year, right? So that would include human nutrition, uh, physical activity and education, and most recently in the Agricultural Technology Institute at Ohio State University. So please help me welcome back Dr. Kinder to introduce our speaker. Well, I appreciate that. But, uh, what we're here for today is. Uh, this fellow from my left here. Um, what uh, wasn't said is uh, this university supported me traveling to Australia in 1991-92, uh, and uh, was there for a year and worked in the lab, and uh, went back uh, about uh, two years ago for another year in Australia and came across Dr. Mark Trotter. Uh, Mark is uh, off of a, was born into a family that uh, operated a dairy farm, Jersey farm, in New South Wales. Australia only has seven states, by the way. And so uh, it's just eight. eight south of where he is now. And uh, eight. So, anyway, um, uh, and then that. Ended up getting a degree in agronomy. And that's where he got interested in these precision technologies that he's going to talk to you about today. And uh, we've uh, been hosting he and uh, his wife, who also has a PhD in agronomy, uh, that teaches into this program. And now he's located at Central Queensland University in Ohio State as a, a memorandum of understanding and collaborations. And, uh, various areas that we're starting. And he said, when he came over here, he says, I'm, I'd like to go to a, another university. And he mentioned a few. And I said, we need to go to Nebraska. Because uh, he's in the beef business now. He's in the beef capital of Australia. And uh, so that's the reason he's here today. So Mark, I'm just uh, pleased to punch to have you uh, back in, uh, in Big Red Tech. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> Righto, thanks. So uh, let me give you guys a little bit of intro, um, expand on some of that stuff that Jim talked about, and I'll briefly talk about Ag Australia, to give you guys a bit of a broad understanding of that. Then we're going to run through some of the technologies that are emerging and being developed 
in our Australian system and in a other uh, news stories as well. Okay, some helpful tips for listening to an Australian. I talk too fast. I know that I've already been told I've got to uh, space between every word. But that's, that slows me down. So uh, if I'm going too fast and you miss something, don't, don't feel like uh, stopping me. And there's some helpful definitions here. Uh, so I talk in my, we have our own lingo over there. And uh, so producer of hockey, that's an agriculturalist, a grazier, and a, a, or pastoralist, a grazier, and a producer. I'll say paddock, you guys say field, feed base, that's pastoral forage. I graph cattle, you, um, you sort them. Uh, we use a crush, you use a shoot. Uh, we have stockyards, you have a handling facility or a corral. And I muster my cows, but you guys go out and round them up. And uh, a ute uh, is a truck in your turn. And uh, scroop or crikey are expressions of surprise. Got that? Right. So a little bit more background. I grew up on this dairy farm on the middle coast of New South Wales, about halfway between Sydney and Brisbane. Uh, but spent a lot of time on my grandfather's uh, beef operations as well. Spent a lot of time riding horses and air drafting. Does anybody know what air drafting is? No one in the US is like that. No, it's a little bit like cross between putting, team putting, and a barrel race. You cut a cow out and then you call a gate and run out to a football field and you've got to chase the cow around the set of uh, barrels. And it's a big business uh, in Australia. So I went to university at uh, University of New England, uh, got a Bachelor of Science, and then became a banker because I wanted to learn a little bit more about finance uh, and, and how um, funnels make money. Came back from that PhD in economy, and then I saw what the, the cropping guys were doing in precision agriculture, and I thought we could do some of that in grazing systems. So I got really engaged in that. Moved up to uh, Sydney Uni about two years ago, uh, up into Queensland. Our university is a relative baby compared to GDPU guys. So we've only been around since 1967. We have a lot of gigs all over Australia, but we're headquartered uh, in Rockhampton and have a relatively strong track record in research and in uh, beef in particular. A uh, big focus on making a difference in our community though, so affecting real change. So I'm based uh, at Seagrove. This is my uh, research centre in my office. A little lot of cattle quite out the back door that can run out to do all of the trials on. And then if we want to go uh, somewhere bigger, like you can take it out to the, to the big uh, property out uh, Belmont Station, uh, just on the town. You can see the river running around the property there. That's all the little crocodiles, so you don't see too close to the bank when you look at the cows. Uh, we also do some uh, sheep work out of Longreach as well. Bit of background on the beef industry in Australia, if you don't know anything about it. Uh, it's rainfall drives production across our country. You probably know that we're a very dry continent. Uh, there's more rainfall around these coastal areas, from the southern areas, um, and you get reasonable rainfall up in the north. Uh, but there's a big division uh, between north and south. Down here we have a winter rainfall uh, dominant area, and then as you go further north, you actually get the almost like a monsoon type system where you've got really, uh, really wet summers and very dry uh, winters. And that influences how we, how we grow beef across Australia quite substantially. Our beef industry, um, we have about, about 50,000 uh, beef properties, 25 million dairy cattle, and the breed is about 11 million. So it's not that big compared to some of the bigger players out there 
Um, one thing that's done worth noting is that we finish a lot of our cattle on pasture. So only 40% are grain finished. 60% of them are going straight off pasture, through the cooling bottles, and then on to the market. So this is where I am. We, uh, we, have, we sit in the, uh, the biggest, I guess, county uh, for livestock in all of Australia. We have the most number of animals when we're smack bang in the middle of it. So the northern beef industry, I alluded to before, you've got this sort of southern and northern divide. That southern industry, there's a lot of us tourist cattle, so your Angus and your Herefords. And as you get up to this northern industry, this is the real cowboy country. So a lot of Pacific animals, so the Brahmin type animals are the only ones that survive up there. And even uh, in quite extensive properties, really large areas, millions of hectares, in terms of one property. And you'll actually get down to what we've got some actual wild harvest. So you don't round them up, you literally go out there with a bull catcher, then pull them in, you've got one for you, the goat truck, and he comes out, plants on that bull, and he pulls him over, and puts a strap on his back legs, and they drag him up to the truck and sell him. So there's a pretty wild country out there. Uh, a lot of opportunity to improve the management of these sort of production systems up there because they're not that well developed at the moment. And so that's where I'm working and doing the research that we're looking Trying to affect change up there. Okay, moving on to some of the ag tech that we're working on in these industries. Um, but just before then, uh, this is the research team that I work with at the moment, and I have previously worked with a whole bunch of people up at UNA University of New England uh, in uh, New South Wales. And so uh, not all of this work is just me doing it, there's a whole bunch of people uh, behind the scenes making all of this happen. Okay, so laser beams in pastures. So why are we doing that? Um, measuring the amount of grass we have on the ground is really important for our producers. They need to understand how many kilograms per hectare, pounds per acre of green dried biomass or biomass that they've got there to make their management decisions about rotating livestock or stocking rate. So we've been working on a number of platforms for a lot of years now. We've got uh, systems that use satellite data to estimate the amount of biomass that's on the ground, both in our southern systems, which is partially from space, and uh, Range Watch out of some of the northern systems to help those producers up there manage those stocking weights to optimise production and, and not uh, overgraze it and, and reduce the plant cover. I've done some work um, up around with uh, active optical sensors. Uh, some of the original work uh, done out of this uni in the agronomy department in active optical sensors. Uh, Jim Shepherd and Kyle Bollins, we actually started working with those guys and detecting and sensing the amount of biomass that was on the ground. And developing any crowdsourced apps that allow us to calibrate those systems more effectively. Uh, and then recently we started using uh, laser sensors in the same context to improve the accuracy and, and make these things a lot more reliable in terms of the, the data that we're providing uh, producers. There's a lot more behind that. Uh, you can come and grab me afterwards. I'm just going to run through these things quickly. So if you do have an interest in anything, come and come have a yarn. So the future in this space, we've got work happening on the UAVs, we've got ground robots that are out there measuring things, we've got radar satellites, a whole new generation of satellites helping us detect and measure this biomass that's on the ground and help our producers optimise those stocking rates. The GPS on cows. So this is a, a, the evolution of, of GPS in terms of tracking animals. 
the wildlife guys can have this sort of technology for years, right? So they've been tracking their, you know, their, their mountain lion or their bear or their elephant. Um, and they've been able to do that uh, because they can afford to put a small number of devices on relatively highly valued animals. Um, when it comes to livestock, uh, it's the complete opposite. You want to have as many devices out there as you can. And so GPS sort of, in, in terms of cows and bumpers along for a little while, this is uh, Pete Teal out of Texas A&M. This is the first photo of a cow in a backpack GPS 20, 30 years ago. And then we've been developing these little simple store on board collars for a number of years, which allows us to put out a lot of devices to track the whole herd or more, not just one animal. And then what's happening now is that we're starting to see the shift from just researchers using it to tools being developed for producers to use it. And so we're getting e tag systems produces a, a more interesting e tag than a collar most of the time. And we're actually getting them real-time data delivery so you can sit back here, look at your phone to see where your cow is moving. Location for us is really important in Australia in a lot of different contexts. Um, there are technologies out there that will track the location of animals in a barn, in a feed system. But in Australia, we are dealing with large areas over which our animals are grazing, so we need to know where they are as to what they're doing, but also where are they we need to go and find them and treat them. And so location, location and GPS or spatial monitoring is, is really quite important. Um, I guess one of the really interesting things that the GPS tracking and all of these sensors are allowing us to, to do is really get a much closer understanding of how our animals are behaving and what they're doing. So once upon a time, well, when my dad first started milking, he maybe had about 20 cows, and he used to follow them up the, up the paddock every day. And you can see that the cow that was first in line all of a sudden started to drop back in order. And he'd say, there's well, something wrong with that cow, what's going on? And now we've got um, guys milking herds of 1,000, you know, 2,000 animals, and there's just no time for us to monitor those animals. And the same with you, you know, the industry. And so a sensor-based approach is really giving us an opportunity to, to bring back that idea of individually watching the animal by doing it all remotely. And so if we can, I believe, if we can combine good animal management and good knowledge of that of the animal production systems with these sensors, we can actually uh, start to um, improve productivity and, and welfare outcomes for animals. Also, as researchers, um, I believe any of you guys have been out uh, watching animals and animal observation studies, get pretty tiring sitting out there for days on end, nights on end. And this sort of technology is, is in some ways taking away the need to, to do that sort of work. So if you look at it in a commercial context, how does a producer, why are producers, grazers, interested in this? We actually surveyed them a little while ago and they came up with a massive long list of different applications. We can give them this information remotely and in real time that they will use it for. Not surprisingly for Australia, water-related behaviours are a big issue. So producers want to know that their animals have got to the water trough and had a drink because we can carry animals from dehydration very easily in that situation. So having sensors that detect that drinking behaviour is quite important. But you can see the whole range of other applications there that, that they're interested in, in doing. There's some really simple stuff. Um, so you know, where are my animals? Are they on the farm? They made it to town while I've been looking for them in the paddock. Um, some of the other simpler sort of applications uh, detecting stock death. 
So uh, we got cattle duffing. You gotta remember when established from a, a whole sort of nation of convicts that the English sent over. <laughs> suspect we've retained a little bit of those attributes. Um, so stock debt conservatively cost us six seven million dollars a year in the industry. And so what we're doing is pretending those stock debt events as they're happening in the paddock and we're working on uh, technology to do that. Just you can see this little bit of sort of GPS dot where the cow was and you can see how she's meandering happily down to the to the campsite, the resting site, and it's quite torturous the way she moves. And then what's happened is I've got in behind her to simulate a stop test event, pushed her back to the, to the yard, and you can see the different pattern in those movements, in those movement behaviours. So we're using the tracking devices to pick up those changes in behaviour, ultimately to you know, hopefully send a text message to the farmer, and he can be at the coffee shop, sitting back at the coffee, find out that somebody's stealing his cows, so he might come through over. A shotgun and have a conversation with that guy, something like that. <laughs> so, landscape utilisation, this is something that I'm particularly interested in. Um, from a couple of points of view, both production and sustainability. So, our animals do not graze our grass as evenly. They prefer to be in certain areas. So, you can see the sheep up the top of these hills, our cows down the flats, and they chop and change. This is some sheep tracking data, and this is the, the sheep going up to the camp at night. And it's not going to be rocket science, they spend a lot of time up there. And when we put the phosphorus map over the top, the really high levels of phosphorus are up on top of the sheep are grazing off these flats during the day, and then they go up to the tops of the hills and camp, and they're exporting nutrients up the tops of those hills all the time. And so uh, if we can, I guess, objectively measure this sort of nutrient variation over time, we can actually start to think about changing where we put the fertiliser out. So no longer are we going to be putting fertiliser up on top of this, the whole paddock at the same rate, exactly like the property guys do with their VR technology, we're just putting the fertiliser down here. And we've actually got a couple of companies now uh, developing that sort of uh, systems for, for grazing operations. What else can we do with, with GPS monitoring? Uh, some of the other stuff we've looked at is detecting calving and, and landing activity. Um, and so we can measure a range of different attributes from the, the data speed, which drops off just before they have that lamb, and then change stages by when that lamb tries to stay with them over time, all the way through to social activity, cat by some to their friends, because when that ewe wants to land on the cow's calf, she sneaks off to have that calf away. So ultimately, again, a text message to the producer to say this, this cow or this ewe has gone off and had her calf successfully. Or, if there's a problem, a text message to say, hey, there's a dystopia going on, you need to get out and check that cow. Uh, predation events, we have a lot of wild dogs and, and dingoes in Australia, and so we still lose an enormous number of particular sheep, but also cattle in North Australia, to wild dog attack. And so we're working on some projects at the moment to detect that dog attack event. It's not rocket science. When sheep get attacked by a dog, they tend to run just a little bit faster than they normally would. But uh, they can also run uh, just naturally sometimes. So you've got to try and protect or work out a way of not alerting the producer when that information is available. So we're looking at this uh, central field motion. So when sheep start to get attacked by a dog, they often clump up and start skinning. What's happening is the stronger sheep are pressing into the middle, weak sheep are getting spun out to the outside, and the dogs come in and tear them off and, and, and take them down. So, trying to detect those behaviours as well to provide again an alert to the producer. 
There are other really interesting things. We've just done some little pilot studies with a whole bunch of producers across Australia doing different applications of this. And one of them that came out that we weren't quite expecting uh, was the relationship between things like uh, uh, carcass characteristics and the distance that animals were traveling when they're in the pasture plains. Now you can see the number of animals in this curve is extremely low, so this is not something that would be valid by any stretch of the imagination. But it really opened our eyes to the idea of, well, maybe there's something in this. You know, can we start to detect um, the relationship between how far animals are moving and grazing in a paddock well before they end up on the hillside? And if animals are going to start displaying symptoms of that they're going to end up dark, cutting the out of that production system way earlier and sending them to the grinder and not spend a lot of money uh, finishing the more grain. There's a, I guess there's a whole uh, heap of activity in the commercial space now as well. So I've been working in this area for about say 10 or 15 years, and there's more companies now than ever uh, trying to commercialise this technology. So develop GPS tracking gear tags in the industry. So it's quite exciting, and there's a lot of opportunity for you guys uh, to pick up uh, work if you're a student uh, in, in these companies. They're looking for people like you guys with good understanding of uh, general science and biology. Alright, Fitbit's for sheep. How does this work? Um, you guys would know you do a Fitbit sensor. It works off an accelerometer, so it's just a motion sensor. And that measures uh, your movement. Ooh, your movement in three axes. And you basically get a trace like this of dark, so the X, the Y, and the Z. And you can see the different behaviours stand out quite well. They're standing, so rocket science are quite still. Walking, you almost see the steps. Grazing a step, a step, a bite, a step, a step, a bite, and then lying down. Um, and so, with these accelerometer sensors, we're able to get really high resolution, fine behavioural monitoring. So, we can see the, the really fine scale uh, changes in human activity. Then, in a research context, we use these sensors, you can put a car there with a couple of sensors on it, uh, to quantify things like how much time that car spends sucking the cow. So, developing models. Uh, that allow us to predict that. And that's quite important because in northern Australia, we can lose anywhere up to 20% of our calves in a season. And at the moment, we actually don't really know the complete reasons why that is. And so we're developing these sensors that sort of pick up and understand cow calf and determine the best. Yeah, commercial producers, there's a range of different applications in terms of getting that fine scale behaviour. But one of the big ones for us is, is disease detection and an environmental welfare. <laughs> It's a project we ran with Vitex. They've got a little chemical ear tag uh, on buffalo flies. I think it's similar to your horn flies, a little uh, blood-sucking insect uh, that comes around. And uh, one of the key issues that we have is we want to delay putting these tags out for as long as possible because we want them to last the whole fly season. But there's a threshold which we need to get now, uh, otherwise production is an issue. And then you know, a well, general welfare concerns they start getting this quite ugly looking sores as well. So we were using these same little accelerometer uh, ear tag sensors uh, to actually detect these changes in behaviour over time. And it's not rocket science. You can see this car here sort of halfway through a, a head flip. You can see this cow over here, she's throwing her head around. They're trying to get the flies off them, they're picking the flies off themselves. And you can pick that up with that accelerometer really, really easily because of the rapid movement of that animal. And so what we're able to do is go through and develop a relatively simple 
apply adaptation index. Okay, so what you can see here down the bottom, that's a, that's a cow that had a chemical control intake in it, so she wasn't being bothered by the flies at all. And then this one in here was uh, an animal that didn't have uh, a chemical control intake. And so you can see over time what's happened is the flies got worse and worse and worse and worse, and we actually had to put a core on, on that cow. Anymore. And as soon as that insecticide got on, it crashed back down. So the sensors are really good at picking that up. So now what we're looking at is, is getting them out on, on the on the properties to provide that warning of when they need to have those tags go out. One of the other issues we've got in Australia is our welfare uh, and is our social license issue. And the MRA commitments in Australia is made that's a potential $3 billion downside risk to our industry. So if we lose social license, uh, we'll lose a lot of money. So we're looking at taking a lot of these sensors in and developing it as part of the package of objective welfare measurement. Work with a company called New Zealand Marino that sell really high value wool in a lot of some of the lead markets and they're helping by and they're funding that work because they're quite picky to shift into using these sensors to, to be able to tell their consumers that look this sheep has been in this sort of welfare state for its life. So really big opportunities in that space. So again, uh, so largely used in research to date, uh, the dairy industry has had a number of devices for the last few years. Things like the smartphone, uh, cow manager, all flexible the tag, and quantified uh, ag, uh, one of your local crew uh, from uh, Lincoln, have been developing sensors, but primarily targeted Dairy industry or the feedlot industry, which is quite contained, and we need something that will work in our, in our big, fast areas where, um, where we, we need to be able to get a radio signal back from the tag all the way back to the, to the cloud. Right, so, social network uh, for cows. This is a really interesting one. Um, what we've been doing is using these proximity loggers. So, so, there's a device that goes on an animal, a collar. And it tells you how much time each cow has actually spent together over the day or the week of the month. And from that, you can basically use the exact same uh, analytical tools that Facebook are currently using against you guys, or for you guys, whatever way you want to think about it, um, to understand the relationships between individual animals. And so what we've been looking at is identifying out of the paddock which calf belongs to which cow. And it's not rocket science, just mothering up so we know the individual pedigree of each animal. Uh, we used to do it in the yards. We also used to get it quite wrong in the yards. And so having an automated way of doing that, uh, you can actually pair up which cow belongs to which calf because they spend a lot more time here together over a day or a week before or a month. And so there's also a whole heap of other really interesting applications to this in that we're looking at the, the social structures of herds. Uh, have we got a, a matriarch uh, mother in that group that's leading that group and showing the rest of that, that herd how to behave and identifying those really important sort of relationships? Uh, this is a, uh, I guess, a little uh, spin out of, of, of our university. Um, this is the AnySense project. This is the model we were pitched to you guys. Uh, we're trying to develop a, a platform, an impact sensor uh, platform that will measure a range of different. Um, Things. So we've developed a, a prototype at the moment with a GPS accelerometer for the proximity. We're also exploring a uh, heartbeat, that's the ear, using the green LEDs. 
and uh, getting that data back uh, in real time. And this is a, a research platform, so different to a to a commercial platform, something for research. And so we're um, we're working on that at the moment. We're very keen to have other universities engaged in this as well. Okay, some more advanced stuff now. So today we're actually talking about how we monitor animals, you know, how we watch them remotely. Now we're going to move into how we actually manage them. So there's this concept called virtual fencing. Most of you guys will be familiar with the, the dog containment systems where you've got an electronic device on the collar, you bury it around the wire, the dog comes up to that fence, it gets a beep and it tries to go over and gets into that. The virtual fencing systems work pretty much the same as that, but it's all GPS controlled, so you don't have a ground wire, you can remotely move that animal around the table. This is where it started. Somebody stuck a whole kid on a courthouse head. And uh, it eventually got downsized. And this is a commercial system, which I'll show you a little bit more detail in a minute that's actually working. So this is how it works in uh, in sheep. So I've done some, some work in sheep uh, when I was down at UNE, one of the students. Here's the invisible fence. So those sheep have each got a collar on uh, with one of the, uh, the beep and zappers. And then walking up to that fence, that sheep would have been got a, a beep. And she gets another BB. This is the first time this sheep's seen this uh, fence. And now she's getting a loud beep. Come on, what's going on? She's ignored it. She gets the zap. <laughs> the important thing to note, though, is sheep are not as silly or dumb as people would have you believe. So within about three hours, we had that little flock grazing up and down that invisible fence quite happily and responding to the audio signal and not getting the reinforcing zap. We've seen the same thing with cattle and work. Here's some of the work that we do at commercial company Addison's. This is just a little trial where we were testing the fist of these devices on boss indigenous cattle. They've done a lot of work with Angus and Caribbean types. And these guys just have a slightly different neck shape, and we wanted to see whether we could get the electrodes to do. But you can see there, um, these colors really you know, sort of don't bother these animals. And um, there's a bit of concern around having devices on animals that will um, give them an electrical stimulus. Uh, but all the work that I've seen would suggest that those animals really quickly learn to respond to the audio and the dynamic of the herd, they come back to the herd. And so it's a really effective management tool. A lot of opportunity for this to revolutionise the way we graze our landscapes, keep animals off sensitive, riparian areas where we're going to put soil in, in the rivers and such. And again, there's a bunch of uh, commercial providers in the space, Addison Dow Australia, vets from over here somewhere, and also from New Zealand. Again, there's really good opportunities for you guys uh, to, to work in these industries uh, because they're constantly employing people as they expand. So dealing with the data, how do we get all this information from uh, the cow to the cloud, cloud server? And then from the cloud server, back to the producer of a server that's saddled. And that's critical because these outliers are out in the middle of nowhere making management decisions and they need that information on hand. So we've been working with, um, uh, I guess, a, a really simple technology, uh, Warpath Way. So we have these Warpath Way stations out in the middle uh, of, uh, of paddocks. And so we basically get a live weight gain on an animal every day rather than bringing into the central animal facility. Uh, what we've been doing then is using really simple, cheap uh, computers, Raspberry Pis, and satellite connectivity to take all that data from the paddock and get it back to the uh, back to the server. So 
and then turn it around and get back out to a producer that's been complaining. So our unit's been developing a little uh, system called Data Master. So it's just a visualization platform for producers to see this sort of information. So I can dial in from here and I can look and see that my live weight gain, this is a screenshot from a couple of days ago, is actually coming down over the last couple of weeks. And that's a bit of a worry for me. Uh, so we've just told the guys to get some uh, supplement out there to make sure we're trying to reverse that exact out of about the carbon. And that's really not what we want to see uh, at the moment. So at the moment we've got uh, walk up weight data. Water utilisation data coming in from sensors on trucks. So bringing all this new generation of information to these systems as well as the GPS accelerometer and satellite biomass in the future. Okay, um, that's sort of some of the, the tech, I guess, that's, uh, that we're working on that's emerging in the industry. So just a little bit of a thing I want to talk about um, because in Australia we have a really key issue with engaging young people into agriculture. I can see a lot of you guys out there uh, already been engaged in agriculture, which is fantastic. Um, but we just do not have uh, young people coming into our industry enough. And so we're really keen to try and find ways of engaging uh, kids that may not have thought about doing anything uh, in ag to consider it as, a, as actually have a career. So we've been developing these um, uh, ag tech uh, learning modules. And so we've got uh, GPS towers, Classical space and active humans being developed at the moment. And these are getting this technology, so GPS tracking into schools uh, when kids are in high school. And they're now tracking their cows or tracking a, a farmer's cows, looking at the data, exploring, and starting to see that you know, agriculture isn't just about digging a hole, and, and that's what they thought it was previously. There's actually a lot of emerging technology in the industry. Uh, and we're hoping we'll actually have some partners over here. We'll work with the University of Maine and Oregon State uh, rolling it out in some of their uh, schools. Right, so now the last thing I want to sort of finish on is uh, a bit of an invitation. We'd love to have you guys come over uh, in a range of different uh, capacities. Um, there's some pretty neat things uh, uh, to come and see. It's not all hard work, we do do a fair bit of hard work, but uh, we have been what is essentially the beef capital of Australia. Every three years we have this big event called Beef Week where we have about 120,000 people coming through their gates. The next one's in 2021, so we'd love to have you over there if you're in any way interested. We also have a whole heap of, you know, strange and unusual things. We have, we have the only radio arena on the inside of a hotel, a pub, a bar. So you have a have your dinner and sit around and watch the boys uh, ride and they practice every Wednesday and Friday nights, and that's where my boys and I end up down there quite a lot. We also happen to be like one of the, the key spots for Barramundi, which is the best sport fighting fish in Australia. An enormous amount of fishing goes on, so if you know that, um, come across and set you up. And that's 20 minutes away. We have the Australian Queensland coastline, which is quite picturesque. Uh, Keppel Island uh, is only about uh, half an hour of boat ride further, uh, further east, and the Great Barrier Reef is basically just a little bit of the soil of, uh, of, of Great Keppel Island. Uh, so, all this within about an hour to drive with boat ride to a place like Hampton. There's a bunch of opportunities. If you're a student, uh, we'd love to hear from you about potentially coming out of some summer internships. Uh, Post-grad opportunities, we have a PhD program obviously, 
but you can also do a part-time, you can do a PhD, do a part-time PhD in Australia through the Fulbright organisation. Um, if you're going to do PhD, there's post-doc opportunities through our Advanced Queensland Industry Research Fellowships that we can set you up with. And if you're on faculty, we'd like to talk to you about um, sabbatical. Uh, we're currently investigating whether we can get salary top ups from our key industry body, Meat Livestock Australia, to fund operating salary on that. And we also um, sponsor a Fulbright scholarship the university does. And so that's made available uh, every year. Uh, and uh, I've uh, uh, had one, uh, one right from that, Derek Lavey. I'm hoping to have another person uh, come over this year. But uh, uh, that's one of the key opportunities. Uh, so, yeah, if you see anything in there that you like, come and have a yarn on the other side of the card. Otherwise, thank you for your time. Around. 
Um, CSRO worked with them on a little project for a while, trying to do a sensor-based approach to detecting how much food was going down the gob. Uh, you can determine white weight quite simply from those sensors, but how much of each bite, the volume of each bite, remains an issue. CSIRO did put out a system called eRazor, uh, which was sort of estimating um, or getting a relative estimate of intake, uh, but I haven't followed where that's got to at the moment. But it is the holy grail. Does it distinguish biting from Yes, yeah, yeah, I believe so, yes, yeah. Other questions? Have you done any research on natural esters? Some of that degree would be as relying on seminary trying to get NKI. Yeah, we have. So in, two, in a couple of contexts. So the walk up away platform that I showed you before, uh, where the cows walk across <laughs> a platform and get weighed, they've also got a little analyzed tag and uh, an RFID tag, so the radio frequency ID tag in their ears. As they walk across, they get uh, they get mobbed when they came in to have a drink and then go out. Uh, what we've found is you can actually watch uh, <laughs> the wool go along behind that cow or heifer, and so you can actually start to pick up when she's uh, cycling. And so you can get it through that. Um, there's been a fair bit of work done with the accelerometer sensors, uh, so both uh, Orflex did this in New Zealand, where they were monitoring naturally uh, with the age of puberty on dairy heifers. So that's a pretty, there's a fair bit of evidence there that, that that works quite well. So my question Yeah, sure. So a lot of that thinking is in its infancy at the moment, uh, but we just worked with the one producer down in South Australia to track the, the distribution of his sheep over a grazing scene. And then what he did with that information was sat down and looked at it and said, okay, I've got a gut feeling that this is what's going on, that this is uneven distribution. But when you sat down with the objective data, a map, hard data, it's then he started driving around the paddock and looking at the different areas that they were and weren't utilising. And I remember one particular situation where he, he drove into an area where there was very good utilisation and looked at it and it was very high senescent standing phalaris. So the sheep had not been into that. It was basically just cardboard and didn't want to eat it. And it had been like that for a long time. And he went to another area where it was quite heavily raised and it was relatively short and nutritious. The sheep would be raised in that area. And then he went to pull soil cores out of each of those areas. It's not rocket science. Where they had been grazing, just built up to a massive phosphorus bank. And where they had been grazing, it depleted. And so he's actually now implementing a very right fertilizer application approach based on that. Are you doing any work with drums? Um, a little. We t I t my group tends to focus on the sensor technology that will go onto the, the bottom of the, of the drone itself. So there's some, we've got producers out there that are mastering animals with drones in Australia. 
which was quite an interesting application in terms of labour saving. Uh, but most of the work that we've done is really focused on what do you actually, uh, what sense of responsible by the operation to measure something that's of interest for the producer. We've still got some real, regula real regulation problems around using drones in Australia. So our federal air space authority uh, doesn't allow us to fly beyond one site and a few things like that, which is what we really need in our country. So how hungry are producers for this technology? How rapidly are they Yeah, so it's a classic bell curve of early adopters and then the next level and the next level. Um, but in that, that top half of that bell curve, so half, say half the industry, uh, the, the, the leading guys are looking at this and pushing very hard to try and make it happen. But we have really driven by production efficiency in Australia. Uh, we have um, relatively high cost of labour. We don't have cheap corn, corn like you guys. Uh, we don't have much irrigation, um, and we don't have any sort of subsidy scheme. So we're really driven by production efficiency. So we've got to save money, produce more, produce a better quality product at a higher price. And so that sort of top half of the industry are very cognizant of that and are looking for ways to do it. The challenge with a lot of this technology is its cost at the moment. But it's coming down rapidly, and as that, you know, as costs become lower for returns, that's when this is that's when we're going to see it really rapidly. Excellent discussion. Dr. Trotter will be here through about noon or 11.30 tomorrow. If you'd like to hear him again, just because you love his accent and more you love the information you share in the public, uh, he'll be presenting to the graduate students at 3 o'clock. So you're welcome to join us uh, right, right down here. We've got the class number at Legion from the OKI students. Say again? Yeah, I'm going to put there. 128, okay? So right, right over here. And Animal Science 128 tonight. Uh, he's going to be speaking with Lockie Bryce from the, the Grass Center for Grassland Studies students at 7. So all of you are also invited back to hear him. And if you'd like to interact with him, there'll be other opportunities that will be made available as well. So join me in thanking Dr. Charles for working